You are listening to the Mick and Mac GAA Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Mick and Mac GA Football Podcast. John's here with me today. John, how are you getting on? Yeah, Grammy man. Yeah, geez, this is a big one today, Paul. Uh, it's a pleasure having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're joined by Paul Hearty, our man goalkeeper. Paul, how are you? Not so bad, lads. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for having me uh, coming on. So five, I was reading there, 19 Armagh titles with Cross McGlenn, 11 Ulster club titles, 6 All-Ireland club titles. Uh, you've won a few things. I <laughs> one or two over the years, one or two. I've, I suppose, been blessed to have been part of a serious, serious squad, and not, not just one squad. We've been fit to fit to turn around quite a few squads. Squads, so I suppose uh, the initial sort of success really did. When it, you know, the, it's like a cliche, like a success breeds success, but on our case, it certainly did because. You know, we went from probably we went from not winning our first county title in ten years, and then won one in '86, went on to win All Ireland, and then we won three out of four All Irelands in the '90s and the uh, 2000. We won it, and then there was a lull, and then we didn't win one till '08, and then another lull of All Irelands, I suppose, until we'd done the two in a row in '12 and '11 and '12. So. Uh, you know, we've been it's been it's been a brilliant I can't complain about, about my career, but I just was really lucky that I I suppose I came along, I was sixteen, seventeen when I started on the senior team and I was fortunate enough through with injuries and that that I was able to sustain it for a long period of time. So I, I was blessed in that regard, you know. Yeah. I, I I'm gonna take you back, Paul. So tell us about growing up, I suppose in Armagh and how important Cross McGlenn the GA club was to you growing up as a young lad in the 80s yeah listen there wasn't a lot going on in Cross McGlenn at the time uh, you know it was a, a town dug by by the troubles and by British Army occupation of our grounds uh, I lived basically I would say 50 yards from from the perimeter fence of the football pitch which Back then, it had no big perimeter fences or big concrete walls, which it has now really modernised. But it was basically just a gap in, a gap in the hedge and you were literally down onto the football field. And that's where, you know, we spent many a day. You know, if we couldn't be playing in the green beside the houses, it was up into the football field and probably racking and tearing the pitch at the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, because the, the club was in such proximity to, to the... Uh, the development we grew up in the estate or whatever it was just you know you grew up you went up the, you were you were just everybody was going up the training and it, that was it it was just part of life part of our part of our makeup and there was nothing really else in the town there was no soccer as such there was no rugby there's nothing else really it was just you know school football and that was just the daily our daily uh, intake was school football and a bit of telly <laughs> <laughs> I was, but with the, I suppose the British occupation of the grounds and stuff, I mean that heightened your passion, and maybe even heightened your like yeah, your how important GA was to you then. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was. I suppose you know, as a young fellow, you didn't really, you know, it was there all the time, and you didn't really probably take in what was going on. 
as you were growing up, was just part of what was what was the town at that time. And uh, but then as you grew older and started getting a wee bit more sense and probably reading more into it and you know what the whole situation was in in the six counties and particularly in her in her own town, you know, you know why are these people here? What are they doing? You know they're in our town and you know there's no real reason for them to be here because you know we're basically there was no trouble in our area. You know or if we're on the border and they wanted their border post or whatever, but you know Crossford Land was well out of the way of troubles and the only way. I suppose the only thing that, that took the troubles to cross with them was them planting their, their base slap bang in the middle of their town and, you know, they took over, you know, a vast quantity of the GA grounds and St. Oliver Plunkett Park. But, uh, you know, that, it, it was, I suppose, as I said, you know, as you get older, you read into it and then you, you sort of got that sort of mindset that, you know, why are they weak and, you know, although there was the... You know, you were stopped, intimidated, and all that, and balls going over into the thing. You know, it was real intimidation. You know, it would be a case of, you know, we're going to show them, you know, they can't come and stop us playing our national game, and we'll continue to do as we please, you know. And would there have been much run ins with them growing up? Growing up? Not really. Uh, not really run ins as such. You know, you could have a run in if you wanted, surely, but I. I myself would be a case of, if I seen them, it would be torn the other way. We were always told, you know, just torn the other way, stay away from them because you don't know what's around the next corner, I suppose, for for their, for themselves. So we were always told to stay away from them. And that's that's what I was drilled into me as a young fella. You see them torn the other way. But I suppose as we were training and that, they don't, you know, playing football, there would always have been, you know, landings in the football field during matches or during training. Uh, as I say, if if the ball went over into the lockout post, it wouldn't come back, or it might come back punctured, or you know, there's always things like that going on, and you know, the really, uh, you know, you have other teams coming in to play, and the next thing everybody turned around to see these helicopters and massive Chinooks and Essex and all these types of helicopters coming in and landing and all, and but it was daily, it was a daily occurrence for us. There was, it was could be upwards of probably twenty, ten to twenty landings a day. And you know, as I said, I live fifty yards from the field, and it just you now it was just part of the environment that we lived in, and it was so it turned into a sort of like second nature. So we just chose to ignore it. Yeah, Paul. Like I find it fascinating. Like I was watching that true do- uh, true north documentary across the Glen. I think was it Thomas Niblock done it. I watched the trees three or four times. It's a um, like that quote from Oshie McConnell. Very very powerful. Um, you can do this, you can do that, but F you, we're going to win in all Ireland. Like to have that mindset, um, Paul really set the tone for you. I'd say. Yeah, I think that's that was that was the you know that was sort of the mindset we took to us. You know, we all uh, as as probably Ashim said, we used it maybe for a crutch for too long. That you know, our poor us, look at us, we can't play a football. We've been annoyed all the time with this, but I think we sort of. We flipped it on its head and and used it as 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 something maybe more more powerful in that uh, you know it, we are you know we can't be intimidated we're not going to be intimidated by you or by anywhere else and maybe we took that sort of motivation onto the field as such you know and and developed a sort of uh, a never say day attitude and you know it it stood us in good stead when we finally did 
you know, I, I suppose it didn't really, it probably coincided, you know, with the Good Friday Agreement and everything and all that in 84, that all these things sort of subsided and gradually started to fade away and that, you know, it was no coincidence that that we sort of developed into a, a serious force. You know, we were a successful club all through the years, but there was 10 years of a lull. And then, you know, a serious crowd of young fellas did come along and, you know, we turned, we turned that, uh, that talent and uh, skill and everything else and, and then really drove forward from, from, I suppose, 96 on. And, you know, I suppose it was, no, as I say, no coincidence that the troubles eased at that time and that there was, uh, there was peace. Like how special of a club is Carlton Glen, Paul? Like judging from that documentary, like it's the life and soul for so many, so many of you down there. Like how much of a club? Like how much does it mean to you down there? It means a hell of a lot to a hell of a lot of people. Uh, you know, the whole everybody in the town would be would follow the football because as I said, there's no other real sports to interfere with, with the GEA in Crossman Glen. You know, you might go into the to the bigger towns, not there. And there's a, the whole hip of soccer. And and maybe rugby to a certain extent in some places, but basically we we've a, the G has a free hand in the town, and you know the whole if we're going on a run or end the whole town gets behind it. There's windows painted, mm-hmm. everybody gets behind the club, and it's everything. You get into the shop, or you get in to get the groceries or anything like that there, and and the first thing anybody has a crack with you, you know, it's all about football. Who we play on Sunday, what's who's fit, you know, it, it's the whole fabric of the community here. And uh, I'm sure that's the same in, in a lot of towns and villages across the country. But uh, it's, uh, it's certainly it certainly you know changed my life. You know it 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 steered my life, I suppose, to a certain extent. You know because we were successful, uh, I didn't really you know probably uh, would have stayed at home. There's probably a lot of boys went away and travel and that there. But I think because um, the club was going so well. I suppose during the noughties and the county was going well and torn, you know, that it was a real thing that kept me at home because, you know, it was very hard to turn away from from the success we were having and the chance, you know, you're you're in you're in with a shout every year and I didn't want to miss that. And how how competitive was I suppose the RMA the Armagh Club Championships and the Ulster Club Championships. The Ulster Club Championships seems like an absolute—it's just—it's so intense. Ulster Club, Ulster Club is fantastic competition. I absolutely love it. Um, uh, don't get me wrong, Armagh Club Championship was tough too. We uh, we always had our rivalries. You know, was rivalries with with Drummond Tee and Pierce Oaks, uh, and uh, Collie Hannah there. The last few years, Bally McNabb. There was always someone nipping at our heels, and. Uh, we we overcome many a many a, a, a bad moment in, in semi-finals and finals. I remember one occasion against Pierce Oaks, we played them in Katie and coming into like two minutes left, we were five points down and somehow we managed to draw the game or think that we went up by a point. And you know, there was many a many a, a banana skin on a, a slippery slope that we, we nearly we nearly floundered on, but uh, somehow, some way we found a way to to turn it, turn it around. So it wasn't as if we had a free hand in Armagh with, with all them titles that we won. But uh, we really did have a lot of competition coming through by certain teams. But uh, the Ulster Club was really, I think, a case where uh, 
we could have, you know, turned the shackles off to a certain extent. You know, other teams mightn't have known us as uh, as well. And, uh, you know, we played some of our, probably some of our best football in the, in the Ulster Club, which is a fantastic competition. You know, all the, obviously all the county championships from, from the Derries and the Downs and Donegal teams have serious battles with. And some of the football that was on display would have, was fantastic, you know. Mm. And who would have been some of the biggest battles you would have had in the club championships? What teams? In the Ulster yeah. campaign? Yeah. Uh, I suppose Ballanderry would have been a huge one for... A good few seasons, we had some ding dongs with them, and uh, a couple of a couple of uh, Guido would have been a fine one. So I think one that would stand out for me was well, I was captain in 2015. I think the Scotstown game, yeah, which was played in Armagh and it went to extra time and a horrendous night for football. But I think some of the quality of the football played that night was was top draw for for two top clubs. Uh, I think it was some great battles with Bourne. And Kevin McKinnon inspired uh, Bourne teams, Kilku, with some ding-dongs with them as well. You know, there's, there's plenty of teams over the years. And Gulls probably was another one that probably would have stood out. You know, especially uh, they were All-Ireland champions in, I think it was 09. And then we had them down in cross and they were All-Ireland champions. And uh, we uh, we managed to pip them that day. It was, it was a hell of a game. And... A lot was made of, I suppose, the fact that we gave them a guard of honour uh, first game of Ulster. And we, we, we took them on in, in cross and uh, it was one hell of a one hell of a game. I think I remember Ashin, I think he scored about one, three or something. He was absolutely fantastic that day. And we had a, a super, you know, it was us trying to come back with another team, another young, really young team, a different brand of football from, you know, whereas the late 80s, Naughty's team was that. Let's say a, a big, strong, all lad, six forty, like a bulldozer of a team. We, if we couldn't beat you playing football, we'd probably just beat you, <laughs> beat you more or less. <laughs> and whereas that team and no name for Tony and Gareth, Tony McIntyre and Gareth O'Neill took over with a different dynamic of player. We had the like a smaller, probably more skillful, mobile, really fast team, and the boys changed their style of play to to accommodate that there to be more dynamic. And, you know, some of the football we played in them years was absolutely, you know, real fantastic. And I think we, we got a, a great, a fine uh, sort of reputation for being a fast flow and, you know, moving the ball, long ball in, accurate balls into full forward lane. And it was, it was really, really uh, attractive to watch, you know. And, like, tell us about some of these kind of players over the years across the Glen, even recent years, um, Paul, like, you have, you have Oshin, you have the O'Neill brothers there at the minute, and the Cairn, and it's like, it's such a rich uh, kind of football and family tradition down there as well. Yeah, you know, there's been certainly a few of the families you mentioned there, and then you've certainly a few more of the McIntyres and, you know, uh, McKeown's and few others but you know if if the older brother starts playing football it's it just feeds on down and then you know you've you've the family whole family here you have four cairns playing at one stage and you know all these guys the O'Neills are, are fantastic footballers the two uh O'Neills would be obviously cousins of Ashin but they're the older two there's two other younger guys coming on there's space between them and they're you know, the boys will be slagging, you know, Ryan and Ashin, that they're not even the two best footballers in the house. So, <laughs> <laughs> the two young boys coming up are meant to be batter. So, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of slagging, a bit of crack over that there. And then you had the McCombell family, you had, you had Jim and Ashin and Jarlett as well, who played 
through the years and you know if if you're if you're in cross at all in your family everybody gets a go you know you're all up playing football and that's just the way it is you know I had two two brothers three two my own brothers as well and uh, the youngest fella he would have been a, a goalkeeper as well Alan he's over in New York at the minute but he would have been a sub goal goalkeeper to myself and he would have played minor for AMA on the 21 for AMA. I was on the AMA senior team for a while as well. But he went to New York and uh, probably in the noughties and ended up playing for New York there as well. So, you know, everybody everybody in the town, if, if there's any football in at all, you're up in the field and you're there, you know, and that's just the way it is. And like, yeah, like I was watching the documentary closely as well and he was at a, was it Oshin was just shouting in the? Uh, I think it was it was, it was a bit mad. In the, I think before one of the Ulster games, uh, this is what we were born to do, born to do. And he slams everything, slams the table. Like, what's it like to have a fella like Oshin McConville to bounce off ball? Yeah, Oshin's fantastic. That he always seemed to have, a, a, you know, a knack of saying the right thing at the right time. You know, he he's he's fairly articulate and he can. Well, he knows when to, you know, start beating the drum or he knows when to just give you the look that, you know, this, 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 you know, he has a balance. He's fairly good at that thing. But when he starts the roaring and the shouting, you know, he's pissed off and he needs, he needs your attention and he needs a performance out of you. And he just know he, he, you know, him and Joe Mack at the time would have a, a fairly sort of good cop, bad cop type uh, Relationship and when the when the stuff hit the fan, that uh, Ashin would be there to you know come up with the with the big roll. But he all, whatever he always said, it wasn't repetitive or anything like that. There, it, it would sort of hit the nail on the head, and he would get the reaction that he was looking for. You know, yeah, yeah, class act. Even Jamie Clark there, Paul. Like, what's his situation at the minute? He's in. Is he playing for Cross or what's he at these days? No, as far as I know, Jamie's in Esden Gale in London. And uh, apparently he's playing still over there at the minute, but he's obviously at home, I think, at the moment and training with Armagh. So uh, that's, I haven't heard much of it, Jamie, for this while, but as far as I know, the Armagh boys are training, doing a bit of training and that there. So uh, he's, he's flat out with, with them. And uh, tell us about Joe Kern and Paul. I mean, he has seemed just such a presence, even just to watch him on television. I can imagine to be managed under him is, is, is a great honour. And did he have a massive influence on your career? Yeah, yeah, Big Joe, probably a huge uh, influence on my own career. He he asked me on to the, to the club team, the senior team, when I was I was sixteen years of age, and uh, put a lot of faith in a young sixteen-year-old to. Uh, I think it was the second game of the league that year. I made a start against their local rival, Silverbridge, who at the time were. We would have been nip, nip and tuck with ourselves and I was thrown in the deep end. We went out to play them out there and there was probably about 1,500 people at the game and uh, it was, for a young 16-year-old, it was quite daunting getting in against all these big grown men and, you know, a, a big crowd out in Silverbridge and at the time it was the it was the, it was the ticket in town to see a big rivalry. They're only about four miles out the road, Silverbridge, so, you know, Charlotte Bournes' club and... Uh, it was a, a ding-dong battle, but uh, he had no fears of throwing me and his young 16-year-old to make his debut on, on a game like that there. And, uh, and I, rem- I remember awful well, we were, it, was, it was tight the whole way through, and I think we ended up winning, we were a pint or two points down, and Oshin took a, 
like a 45 and the 45 went directly into the top corner and we ended up winning by a point or two in the end right near the end of the game so it was uh, it was it was some introduction into senior in senior club football for me and you know it's one of them sort of games that you never forget yeah and was he a kind of man managed like man management style would it be kind of like a i know like approachable or do you kind of just you know when he talks you listen and just do what you're told kind of uh, a, a bit of everything if if uh, to be honest uh, you know, if you had a problem or anything, Joe would be very good with with his man management sort of skills. And you know, he as as the club season went on and things started going well, uh, you know, Joe Joe's management style probably changed for the better. He he became you know better as he went on. Like he had a vision and he had a plan and he set it out. And you know, he, everybody had a step in line and take it where he wanted to go or you know there would be consequences you know he'd be a disciplinarian he, he was the man to put the two uh, boards up on, on, on the back of the change room you know discipline and commitment and discipline on the back of the change room doors and uh, they were the two, sort of the two philosophies that sort of stood to him through probably his own management uh, between Cross and Arma and if, if you didn't tow the line, you'd be told, you know, you either tow the line or you, there's the door. But he he would have been, you know, obviously going through, he uh, he was a fantastic sort of motivator as well. And he, he he would pick his times to either put his hand around you or to chew the arse off you as well, you know. And, you know, he brought he brought Amar football across and Amar football to a different level, a different plateau. You know, obviously winning the three All Irelands with Cross, and then he uh, he stepped down for Cross, and then so the only the only the next stop was the county team, and you know it was great that he did step in when he did because the team that was there was capable of winning All Irelands. Came so close on so many occasions. I think uh, the Hamar team lost to the eventual winners by a point in the previous three or four seasons, and. You know, to get to the promised land in his first year was unbelievable. You know, but I, it was unbelievable. It really was unbelievable. You know how to, to to bring that together, that team together, and to get out from what he did, and then, you know, it was it was uh, it was some ride like. And you had Paul Grimley in beside him, didn't he? With Armagh, would have been a good number two as well. Yeah, Paul was a fantastic, fantastic motivator as well. You know, and the two of them. You know, they clicked off each other superbly. Uh, well, Joe, Joe could have his moments. Paul would have his moments too, and uh, and along with John McCluskey as well. John McCluskey is sort of that would be the, the the trinity there, like Joe, John, and Paul. And uh, yeah, Paul, Paul, uh, Paul was a fantastic coach. Like, and it was it was great to look walk along. And I remember, him, I think one of the times that we sort of seen Paul in action was he came in after after we played. I think it was Pierce Hoogs in a championship match and Paul came in and spoke awfully well and, you know, we were very true and honest and I think Joe was over the team at the time and I think everybody sort of, the way Paul spoke to us in the change room after the game, after the championship game, it was, you know, everybody sort of turned around and go, Jesus, that man, you know, was a great passion for the game and a great, uh, you know, he demanded, he demanded a real demanding presence, and you know, you could, a person you could sit and listen to, you know, 
there'd be certain boys that come in to change them after the world, you know, they wouldn't be sincere or they wouldn't be honest. And, you know, uh, he's talking, he's talking crap there. But, you know, when Paul was around, you sort of, you stood up and you listened and everything he had to say was common sense. And it made, it made, it made a whole heap of sense. And you knew you weren't bit bullshitting around. And like we move on to your arm, my career, Paul. Like obviously you're talking about ding dong battles with Cross and Glen or with other teams you're playing in our club. Like, you know, you're playing the likes of Throne and O three, O five. Like what were some of them encounters like? Like the look looked unreal looking back. Yeah, Jesus, you know we played them in when was this we played them? O one, I think it was the first one we played them. And uh they beat us in O one. Uh then we had to go through the back door and then O two was uh, the game, the, the draw game. We played them in the first round again in in Clonus, and then there was the draw, and then we beat we beat them in the replay, and that sort of spawned us on that year in O two. You know there was the try we could have met them again. Only I think Sligo beat them in the quarterfinals or something, or maybe it was the, the the one before the the quarterfinal in the qualifiers court, and then it all accumulated in an Ireland final in O three and. Like the build up to that game was unbelievable. It was it was it was immense. You know, the whole the whole country was I think it was the first one between two 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 teams from the same province. So and I suppose leading into that game was I suppose it was suffocating, maybe to an extent. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, because there was that you know, there was obviously a neighbor a neighbouring county and then also the championship can be hectic enough, but then to be in an all to be in an Ireland final, it was it was nuts, and there was people talking about what hotels are going to get and getting the city west. Are you going in and out to other other places? And oh, and the, everywhere you went, it was just it was just everywhere. You know what I mean? And it was it probably it probably got a wee bit much, to be honest. Like you know, I was going around my first all Ireland final that man. I, as a player, uh, as a starting fifteen, and the thing was crazy. It was it was mental. You, you nearly wanted. You were glad to get down to training, to get away from it all. You know what I mean? To be with the lads because it was just mental. And uh, you know, but then again, you you, I just generally stayed in the house most of the time in the build up to it because everywhere you went, there was someone looking a crack or a PCR or something. And I just generally just <laughs> the build up was very as quiet as I could make it. And don't read newspapers, don't read uh, anything like that there. So you just tried to make it as normal as possible because everyone else around you was going mad. And like Paul, like I don't know how you managed it. How in the name of God could you look at Peter Camp and Stevie O'Neill and Muggsy running at you? How the hell did you manage that? Uh, it wasn't too bad because every night in town I had Ronan Clark, Steve McDonald, and Marshall <laughs> McConville. <laughs> so, well, well, I fancy they had to give me a hand, but it wasn't yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 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 listen, that, that, you know, when I think as having the quality of players we had coming in on me, taking shots and pot shots and playing against them and looking at them, you know, you, he had every bit as good a player, if not better than than the opposition you played every other week. So, I think that led, you know, that gave me the confidence. I suppose at that time that uh, you know if I can face them, I can face anybody. You know, so I I would have been fairly confident in my own ability then, you know, because I knew of the sort of the the skill level and the stature them boys had. 
that, you know, albeit, as you say, Stephen Neal and Peter and Muggsy and them boys, their class acts in their own right. Uh, we had our own class acts, so I was happy enough to, and confident enough that I could, I could, I could deal with any situation. But, uh, the, you know, in, in the Northeast, they did prove it, probably the best team of the Northeast with their three All-Irelands. And I was listening to Enda McNulty off the ball there the other day, and he was kind of saying, like, like the rivalry with Armand Rome. Like, like, was it fierce, Paul, or like, did he just get on, or what was the cracker? It was probably f- uh, fiercer for lads from the Armand City, I thought, because here in Cross, the big rivals would be down, because a lot of the gays around here would have went to school in Uri, and Uri would have had a lot, of, a lot of the lads, you know, going from down, going to the, the, the schools in Uri. And Growing up, I suppose, any time I was still was on about it, it was an AMI down rivalry. And that sort of flipped over to the to Tyrone. And like we I we'd live a fair bit from cross here from the Tyrone ball, like you'd have to go in through AMA and AMA's about a half an hour away or so. Whereas, you know, the down border would be that bit closer. But uh, I think it proves to be a wee bit more hectic for for the boys on on the on the north of the county or in in, in Armagh. I didn't really get it. But as you said, have the crack with the line anytime I've met the, the throne lads, you know, the, or had the best to crack. I just remember one time we went to, uh, went on the, oh, I was, I had a replacement on the All Star tour to Dubai, and so we ended up drinking out one night with, uh, with Ryan and Racy, uh, Mulligan, and uh, Calvin. And cheers, the nice crack we had was, was Tara. I can tell you a couple of stories, but I, I don't think I should. <laughs> Please do, please. Do. I, Go on, I, keep I, going. I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd say Rice is a fierce, quiet fellow, Paul. Oh, yeah, very quiet. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't get a peep out of him. Uh, <laughs> Thank God I was the other end of the field. I didn't get any of that crack. Uh, yeah, I know. Listen, we, anytime we've met the boy, I've met them. Any of we met them at a few dudes over the years, not there, and just the crack would be mighty. Like, you know, no, uh, no. Here's the races with them boys. They like, they like to go out and have a good time like the rest of us, you know. So there was no problem there. But t- tell us about 2002 then, Paul. I mean, obviously, you, Buddy Tierney was the starting goalkeeper. Was that a disappointment for you to, I mean, it's not, I suppose, in hindsight, miss out and be the number one the year they win it? Or was it something that, you know, you're part of the journey anyway? Uh, I suppose, like, it was a wee bit disappointing because I took over from Benny in 01 and I played the qualifiers after Throne Beatus and I played rightly goal with Edison in, in Crow Park then that year by a pint and I thought this is the start of it this is me for the next 10 years and, but then in 02 uh, from going through that season Joe was going to alternate us uh, Benny was getting the first match and I was getting the second match and then we played Wicklow, I think it was the, no, we played uh, Loud in Arma or Carcup on the first match and then on the Tuesday night train I was to play the next week against Wicklow and we were doing sh- shoot shots and goals and I dived for a, a ball and landed on my shoulder awkwardly and dislocated my shoulder. So that was me out for a bit, oh, I was out for eight weeks, like I think I played, I think I played the final game of the league, I was back to the final game of the league against London or something we played that year and that was basically the season Benny, Benny played the league and played well and I couldn't really argue, you know, I just missed out because of entry and that was it. It was disappointing but I couldn't really, I couldn't really pick any holes in it uh, 
I just I got injured at a bad time and the league was played off in the seven or eight weeks that I was injured. And sure, Benny would have been automatic, you know, for the championship that year. But uh, it was it was a fantastic journey to be on. I you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. I trained as hard as I possibly could every day I went out and just to try and guess uh, someone maybe put in put a, a notion into Joe or Paul's head that I could be there and I pushed Benny as hard as I could and Benny had a Benny had a, a fine season. So we couldn't really I couldn't argue with that. And I suppose in situations like that, like would you be getting along very well with Benny or I suppose is that competitive edge between the two of you is that you're trying to do each other and obviously you're both fighting for that number one spot or like would you usually get along with the goalkeepers you're in competition with? Oh, listen, uh, the GK union, you know, the goalkeepers union, we're all we're a different <laughs> breed, aren't we? <laughs> uh, like if, you couldn't, if, you couldn't get, if you couldn't get on with Benny Tierney, there'd only be something wrong with you, I think, mentally. Uh, the band, the band's, he hasn't, he hasn't a, a bad bone on his body and every bone he has is a funny one. Uh, <laughs> he, he's an awful man for crack and for starting, starting a slagging match and slagging because... He slags everybody, and you wouldn't, you couldn't slag him because he just he'd have your own sweet finger in two seconds. So, <laughs> but the banter and the crack we had as uh, two goalkeepers, and then he went after after O two when he uh, when he retired, he was the goalkeeping coach for a good few years after that. And you couldn't have a better man to say, you know, we we trained hard and we worked very hard, but you know, then he made it fun, and you know, I I I'd be a bit of a merchant for a bit of crack as well, so. You know, while we worked very hard, you know, it was thoroughly enjoyable, you know, on that on that part. And it was it was great to have him there as a coach for his for his experience as well, because he played for a long time before I landed on the scene and yeah. he uh, it was a fantastic man to bounce stuff off, you know, and what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And we'd we'd go over a lot of stuff and kickouts and all the all the sort of the basics and strategies of for goalkeeping, but uh, you know I don't think there's too many goalkeepers out there when you're there. Although you're there to you're there to push the the man on if you're not getting on and strive for that number one position. But uh, I think the goalkeepers have even more crack than the rest of the boys. <laughs> and uh, I have to ask, tell us how long did the party last after the 2002 win? Not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think a few of the boys got uh, a wee bit longer than I did, but I think we were back across because we had a semi-final of the championship to play. Uh-huh. So we we probably got the week out of it anyway, or ten days. Only the and, week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we got we got a wee bit more. Probably got to two. A couple of the boys went a wee bit longer because they were out of the championship and not there at the time. And there was no sort of round robin championship in Alma at the time. It was a knockout. And I think there was possibly a couple of rounds played before it was all stopped because we were on a, we were going on a run, and somebody's got to party that we bit longer, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the parties were good. Now it was, it was it was something special to go around and have Sam aware and taking around the local schools and all that, and then the big case of right, what do we do? What do we do now? We go for one, will we? <laughs> <laughs> You know, so and and the buzz around the county and I, everywhere you went, you know, you know, you got a great reception and and the people fairly appreciated what what the achievement was there and you know it was as much it was much for the people and the supporters as it was for for the players because 120 odd years without an all Ireland title is a long time. Mm-hmm. 
And like, what do you make of the current uh, product in Lunch Championship, uh, Paul? Like, uh, like from Cavan, like so we we played just a couple of times last year. Like, you, like you impressed by it? You, you have to love Lunch Championship. Uh, it's the only competitive one, to be honest. I suppose you have only two teams in in, in Munster, Cork, and Kerry, and they're playing in the first round now this year. So that that that'll probably end up with Kerry winning that. Uh, what is it Galway and Mayo in, in Connacht and maybe Roscommon if they really get get their tails up uh, Dublin and Wal- Walk Leinster I think what is it they've won every every the last what is it every uh, final by an average of 11 points I think their total total average is something like 17 points in every Leinster championship game so that's a cakewalk uh, then Ulster you have probably four of Four of the five or six of the teams taking lumps out of each other before they actually get into an, uh, what will be in the semi final this year. So you can take on the one hand that all right, you might be you might have gone through three or four games and got and got uh, you know really tough games and they'll probably be closer this year. But then again, you'll be battle hardened by the time you go into an all an all Ireland semi final, which would stand here. But I think. With it being condensed this year, it could be the recovery time for for amateur players. In that, you know, if you're picking up, if you do manage to pick up injuries in these games, the, you'd be hoping that it wouldn't be too bad. Uh, you know, those we are always probably hindered by the case that it is a really competitive championship, and that it can take its toll on some squads that maybe haven't the depth of other ones, and that other teams might only have to play one or two really. Humdingers before they get to the same the same spot that the Ulster teams get in an All Ireland uh, semi final. So we're hindered in one respect, probably, and blessed in another. You know, you know, you, Ulster Championship is a precious part of, of of our season, and it's a it's a it's a great competition to win. We've been lucky enough to win it a few times. So uh, I think we'll have we have to go with it for the next few seasons, unless they try and shake it up a bit, which doesn't seem to happen too quickly in GA. Yeah, like it's definitely the most competitive province anyway. Like but and like what what do you what's the fairly from this latest Armagh team? Like like you're coming on rightly. Yeah, I think you know we're on Apple Cove Kieran Kieran's done a great job. He's he's been uh, the first few seasons probably unfortunate on a few occasions but and then I suppose probably coming up against really good teams when we do get to maybe the the just before the Super Eights. I think a real Target would have been this year to get to the Super 8s, but that's not going to happen this year. So, you know, we've a tough task, I think, in, in taking on the likes of Derry. And then I think we play the winners of Donegal and Tyrone. So that in itself is a huge, a huge match. Uh, I think what, what, what we're developing, I think, at the minute of our team, I think we really have, you know, serious forwards. I think to, to make any progress at all, you, do, you certainly need you need four to five really good forwards. And I think we have that now in Amma. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our defence isn't too, too bad either. So, we have a couple of great young fellas coming on. You know, Young Bones, Rian O'Neill, Oshin O'Neill's really coming back into it. He struggled there with, with a couple of injuries. And we've, we've some, you know, Rory uh, Grugan and Stephen Campbell has really stepped up to the plate this last couple of seasons. So, there's a lot of optimism around Amma football at the minute. And uh, I think, what with the pandemic and that, and the way we're not maybe getting a second, we might have needed a second bite of the cherry to get into a Super Eight again. 
that would have been ideal for us this year. But I suppose it is what it is. And I believe we'll get over Derry. And I think, you know, that that uh, Donegal Tyrone game, whoever we play in that one, that that's our learning final. We really have to be targeting it. Although we have to get over Derry first one game at a time, as I say. But uh, we definitely we're taking we're taking strides in the right direction. I, I think probably really have to aim for next year for to probably get back into what I think the, the Super Eights would really bring us on to play against them top teams in the championship uh, more often. So we'll see how this year goes. This it's a shot. It's a shot at nothing this year. So and uh, but we we'll we definitely are going in the right direction. Yeah, like we played just, uh, I think it was at the end of December there last year and it became a cup game in Breffney there. And like, you are absolutely incredible. Like, you just played so well, you just kicked scores for fun. Like, it was really one of the best mechanical cup performances I've seen. Yeah, they really, played really well that day. I think there could have been, I think there was 10 or 12 points in it, wasn't there? Something like that there. Oh, he's hammered us. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they really brought it on uh, last year. And then this, I think this year, you know, we were top, top of Division 2. No, would would we get hopefully get maybe the league finished off and get into Division One, and you need to be playing against them top level teams to really test yourself, you know, week in week out against the, the best teams in the country, and that stands in good stead for going forward in the championship. Uh, you know, we're definitely moving in the, in the right direction. As I say, we're not putting up them scores for no reason. We have we have the forwards there to. To do damage and 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 Kieran, Kieran and Paddy and, and and the boys have really you know got them got them in, in in serious shape and they're big and they're strong, you know very athletic and you know you can you can see the legs the confidence is rising, and that uh, you can, these boys can kick scores if you let them and and even if you don't let them they're they're a real handful so you know we're definitely making strides in 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 the right direction and and with the forward line that we have. We will take a bit of stop in there. And is the pressure on Kieran McGinney, uh, Paul? I mean, he's been there a good few years now with probably not a lot to show for it. Uh, is there expectation growing in Armagh for some silverware? Uh, there's always a wee bit of expectation, I think, from what went on before. But I think we had to take take it with a pinch of salt because there was a, a, a fair transition there of players from, I suppose, the end of the noughties that went all that the that successful team sort of started quitting and trying to replace them guys. And it's only sort of now that there's a good group coming together. I know we had Jamie Clark coming in in 2010 and Stephen Campbell and a few other boys, Rory Grug and all them, trying to find their feet. But they're in, them boys are experienced now. And then there's another touch of, of guys coming through, Charlie O'Burns and, and uh, O'Neill's and all to, to backbone what, what the other experienced players have. So, you know, we've it's taken a while to get us back to probably competing at the top two. But I think there won't be that much pressure on Kieran when people can see that we're on an upward curve. It'd be different if we we're getting hammered or tanked every week. It's probably a case now that people can see the straight forwards that's been made and that we're becoming a force to be reckoned with. And I think as long as that continues, I think probably Kieran will be safe enough where he is. Mm. And I'm going to just go uh, bring you back. I suppose we were talking about the 2002, 2003 teams. I mean, that was an incredible Armad team, one of my favourites growing up. I mean, are, are you, I suppose, disappointed that you maybe didn't win another All-Ireland in those few years? Um, especially 2003, obviously, you lost the final. Yeah, well, I 
personally disappointed because uh, I obviously wanted one to play in. Uh, having not played Doe 2, I would have loved to have played, played in the final. And obviously, and then I suppose 04 was a disaster against Fermanagh. You know, we could have really pushed on that year. 05, you know, the couple of humdingers against Tyrone and that there. We were, you know, we, we were at the top table, we were competing, but, you know, we, we, I suppose we're lucky we got the one that we did in one way. And then, unfortunately, we didn't tag on another one. But, listen, I think we have to be happy with what we have. We, we tagged on Ulster titles, we tagged on the National League, which we've never done before. And... On the day of them games, we just we just weren't good enough to 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 bring it over the line. Uh, disappointing, surely. You know we were the top three, one of the top three teams for for five, six, seven, eight years. So it would have it would have been fantastic to to tag on another island, definitely. And uh, you hear some some guys saying that it's really disappointing we didn't, but I think we have to be thankful for what. We did have we played in a in the period of Amma football that well, it was never went before. You know, it was the, probably the golden years of Amma football, and uh, I think we have to be thankful for what we for what we got. And uh, we're certainly disappointed in, in a small way, surely. But uh, it's it's the ones that get away that probably nag the most. Yeah, as you said, you have you have won and. About, uh, I have to ask about this 2006 uh, against Kerry. What is the story with Kieran Donahue? What's he doing in here? What's he saying to your face? Who? Kieran Donahue. Cheers. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, when I, when, I think, when I think of this story, I can't believe the legs have gathered over the years and it's, uh, it still gets a bit of traction every so often from, from people. Uh, and, and you know what bothers me the most? about this story is that I couldn't come up with anything else to call him except the crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear all the sledging because all and all the back talk and all of them, all all I got was crybaby out of me. Uh, no, I think <laughs> I think I think what happened the case with Kieran that time was uh well obviously it was Mark and Francie and the two of them were pulling and dragging and messing about and uh, every time Francie would probably give him a dig, Kieran would have turned around to the umpires and go, umpire, look at this, look at this, look at this. And he says, what are you on about? You, you're being crazy, baby. You should come out and play the game or something, you know. And that, and that's what I come out of. So, what he did eventually, uh, he did eventually get, you know, he caught the ball and Francie unfortunately slipped and then he got the goal and then he just says, what are you saying now, crazy, baby? <laughs> so, uh, that's when we sort of squared off against each other, but yeah. Yeah. He, he had the last laugh that year and so he, he got his goal that year and only get player of the year so I'll, I'll take some credit for that yeah. I know you had a great year and I mean you're talking about sledging there what's some of the, what's some of the best uh, lines you've heard over out of players over the years especially in Ulster Championship I'd say there's been a few uh, you know something it was never that really bad uh, you know Sledging, but you would have got a wee bit of a cheerly. I didn't really get involved in it because usually there was that many, it was that noisy for a start. You know, any also championship matches we played, it was, it was in Clonus and there was the guts of 30,000 people, and it, it, it was noisy enough. And you know, you would have got the what the fuck are you at? Or what you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a bit of two and fro one, but it was never, I never really engaged in it as such. All right, I called Kieran Donnicky a, a crybaby for me troubles, but. Uh, it was never really me, and then Francie, Francie in front of me, never, never got involved 
at all. Like he was, he was quiet, quiet as a mouse. So you didn't really have it and to bounce off. You know what I mean? Yeah. If yeah. someone was at it, but uh, uh, as far as as far as there was, there was. I suppose there was a, f- a few occasions where we, you know, you got the bit of the northern fucking go <laughs> ball down to the Queen's country and all this little crack out of a few teams over the years. Like what? You know, it's like water of a duck's back for us, boys. Yeah. Across, you know. <laughs> And like, tell us about some of them All Ireland Club finals since the Paddy's Day, Paul. Like, how special of a day are they for like likes across the Glen there? Ah, uh, the club finals fantastic. You know, I know it's changed now from to be finished in the calendar year from Paddy's Day, but uh, you know, Paddy's Day always used to be. I suppose growing up was you know you go with your mum, your mum and dad, and the way to to parades and that there, and but then the whole thing changed when I suppose we started getting into. Or in club finals, like you, you, you would watch them. You didn't really probably pay much attention as you're going up because it was, it was never something that was done in our county before. And you're sitting up and wondering at these teams, just that's an Ireland club between the clubs, yeah. And then you know as you're going up, that was filling. And a funny story, I probably I think a couple of boys could have said it before was the year before we were got to the All Ireland final the first year we were we were in a, a tournament down in Bannock College in County Cork and uh, we were sitting watching watching we were and the tournament was over on St Patrick's Day. I think we played the day before in semi final and played the final on St Patrick's Day or something. And then we went back to the clubhouse and we we started into a batter of pints. But uh Ali McIntyre Lord rest and he passed away a few years ago was a coach along with Joe Kernan. And uh, we we're all looking up at the telly and he says We'll be there next year. And uh, a couple of us turned around with a few points and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? But he was determined that we'd be there. That was that was on his radar. We'd be there next year and they're probably behind our team by his band, he says, and we'd be marching around that band if you do the thing right, he says. And uh, lo and behold, 12 months later, we went to Bannon College. We were in, in Jones's Road walking behind our team by his band and he was right. Yeah, and like like all that like success with Cross McLean and them uh, club final days, like was that a bit of a kind of middle fingers up to the to the to the English back then? <laughs> uh, well, I suppose in a way, as I said probably earlier, we you know we stopped using it as a crutch and we use it as a motivational factor, you know. And you know, we we come round, we come back round to the club them days, and there was a bonfire sitting light lit in, in the car park right beside where the barracks is. So I'm sure they got a wee bit edgy, maybe <laughs> back then when the barracks was as big as it was. But uh, no, back when that the first all Ireland, like you read the whole county behind us, you had people coming from everywhere, you know, just the whole surrounding area, the whole county, and we'd be on the border of Monaghan and Loud and and down to a certain. Expecting people from everywhere that was backing us, and I never seen, never seen scenes like it in Cross. Like we, there was a lorry parked at the top of where the turnstiles are now, and for as far as we could see, there was people, people there, uh, there to see us on the way back up the road. And like as a young fellow at the time, it was it was an unbelievable spectacle. Like and you know us just riding on the crest of a wave, but uh, it it just turned out to be a, a, a massive occasion every time we went out to play that year because it was a novelty we won the county final for the first time in 10 years and then for every club match also club match after that the hall which is quite sizable and cross probably hold four, was full after every game and there was a mighty night's crack 
and then that happened every game and then it just went, <laughs> went mad because it was the first time anybody done it and oh, man it was, it was it was a mad team and a, and a great team to be involved with the team you know it was un, it was unforgettable good parties <laughs> oh there was plenty of good parties yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we worked hard but we certainly partied hard off yeah and I suppose what what ones do you, uh, did the club mean the most to you? I suppose more than the county titles you've won. I wouldn't say that no, yeah. but certainly the club the club was definitely special because you're doing it with with the games yeah. you grew up with, and you know it's the whole community thing, and everybody's there around you. The county the county is special too because over when you're when you're a, a successful county as we were. You know, with each other for for long periods of time, and you know the the bond and the friendships that you build up with with boys who you'd be taking alongside of the week earlier or the the, the season previous is, you know, it, it's a different dynamic, and you know, it really it's really great to get to know all these different people and fund. You know, you try you, you try and get that sort of club atmosphere in the in the county setup, mm. which is it's probably hard enough to find because. You know, there's so many different personalities probably in in the county with different egos and different uh, different people driven to do different things and trying to get them all to sing off the same hymn sheet, which I suppose that comes from your management as well. But it, it was it was a great it was a great it was a great uh, crowd of lads to be involved with over them years and you know we we, we developed in, into a great uh, you know great fr- great friends over years and and we uh, we still are thank God to this day. Um, what about now, Paul? You're doing a bit of goalkeeper coaching, are you? Yeah, uh, do a bit of goalkeeper coaching. Uh, Stephen Cairn is taking over the reins here in the in, in in Cross, and he has me up doing a bit and do a wee bit in in Monaghan as well. And sort of try and accommodate anybody who who asks, you know. But uh, I, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable to stay stay involved and you know to get out a couple of times a week into the back and have have the crack with the lads. I'd be of the of the opinion that, uh, as I said earlier, you know, we'd have a bit of crack with a goalkeeping session, but we would definitely work work hard as well. And I think if you can bring that element of, of enjoyment into into, into lads training, it will uh, it will make them more you know more receptive to what you have to say, and you know, make them enjoy the game as much as you can. Because at the end of the day, you know, we we play this game to to enjoy it. Because it's a, it's a great game and it's our game, it's our national game, and it's uh, when you spend so much time at something, I think uh, the benefits should outweigh the any 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 sort of uh, cause you know the, the time that you put into it. So you might as well enjoy it as you're going along. But uh, the coaching coaching coaching's great. A bit of crack, try and get the lads on down to your way of land to give them a few pointers of of you know the experience that I have and. And hopefully, just bring them on and improve them as much as you can. And how has the role changed, like as a goalkeeper, since when you were playing? Is it different? Oh, it's night and day, isn't it? Like when you see, when I remember coming, <coughs> excuse me, coming on, it was just I had I when I was a young fella, I had a hell of a, I had a long kick out on me, so it was a case of just getting as far away from the goals as you can. <laughs> and uh, we had we had huge men in the middle of the field back then, so. We used to plant three men across the middle of the field, and you couldn't really not hit one of them, no matter how bad or how inaccurate you were. But now, your goalkeeper's the quarterback. He's he's the he's the man with the ball who's dictating plays, and 
there's so many teams coming trying to come up with like uh, you know see like an American football type thing where you've 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 your your five and seven switching six going forward you know and if you have you need you need your goalkeeper to be the best kicker on the team now whereas it used to be you know the worst lad in the and the team would be put in the goals you're yeah. no, you're no good out of field in the goals do you right <laughs> now you need now you need someone who's 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 probably a very accurate kicker between 20 and 70 yards can pick a pass can pick a pass under pressure which is which is you know if there's full presses going on in the lake and be confident enough to do that so whereas it came from being the being the the last position in the field people wanted to be it's become now probably the most important position on the field yeah and you know that's no small part to the likes, obviously Stephen Cluxton and Rory Began and Neil Morgan and a few others that have you know pioneered the way. And you know we all try to emulate what they do, but it, it takes a certain kind of character and player of a certain ability to be able to carry out you know basically ninety percent or ninety five percent possession from kickouts is what is going on now. You know it's it's crazy what's expected of you of, of your keeper now, but. That's what we're working towards, and that's that's what we have to try and try and do. And last one for me, Paul: the best player you played with, and the best player you played against. Best player I played with, Oshin McConville. And best player I played against, probably Peter Calvin. Yeah, two class acts. Yeah, serious, serious players. Yeah. And- and you're just you're just talking about goalies there. I mean, who who were your favourite goalies from over the years? Favourite goalies? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think when I was growing up, I would have looked up to probably John O'Leary in Dublin. Uh, yeah, because obviously they were they were on the telly so often. You know, you would have seen you know the big the big uh, the, the three drawn games back in the nineties and all that. And so Dublin were always there thereabouts and the swagger of the dubs every time they played with the big crowds and that there and John O'Leary was an ever present for so many years I think and he was such a, such a fine goalkeeper I think he was probably one I would have probably looked up to the most growing up yeah good stuff and Paul thanks for doing that that was really really good appreciate your time not a bother lad. it's a pleasure good to have the crack thanks very much Paul thank you lads, all the best enjoy your evening Thanks for listening in and don't forget that you can follow the Mick and Mac GAA football podcast on Instagram, Twitter and we are on Spotify as well as all other podcast platforms.